All right, welcome back, guys, to the Simply Spoken podcast. In this month's episode, I have a very special guest who is going to talk about just how to be yourself freely and just how to not care about what anyone or anything else thinks. So this month's guest is Ian. He just recently graduated from Rutgers University and is pursuing his MPH and will be applying to med school soon. So without further ado, Ian, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Natanya. I enjoy uh, giving talks. Of course, of course. And so just to start off, if you can tell everyone about yourself. and just uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, uh, like you said, my name's Ian. I, gra- I recently graduated from Rutgers School of Engineering with a bachelor's in biomedical engineering. Uh, as of now, I'm currently enrolled for a master's of public health at the Rutgers School of Public Health uh, with my concentration in urban uh, global health uh, being um, public health nutrition. And yes, yeah, uh, Natanya said, I'm currently... Uh, vying to go to med school within the next oh, after two years after I finish up my master's. Um, right now, I'm currently working as a medical assistant at a family practice, working on two public health projects. One about how uh, we analyze like social media comments pertaining to COVID and how people uh, and how um, people's personal demographics and see if there's any commonalities between. Uh, demographics and how um, certain groups process and access COVID information. The other one is just about a public health book uh, based on what the PI told me. I was just hired last week. I'd be co-authoring with him about how patients uh, have some bias and how they interpret uh, information from their providers. So this is a very fresh project. So um, there's not a lot of details that the PI gave me, but I'll be learning about that shortly. And I will be teaching uh, some engineering electives at the Governor's School of Engineering and Technology this summer. I was previously uh, a residential teaching assistant last summer. I'm just coming back because I enjoy uh, teaching kids about STEM. So yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Jeez, and I'm like, just going through my head, I'm like, how are you managing all of that? But, you know, knowing you already, I'm sure that you're doing a fine job with organizing and just dealing with that. So I guess to start off with the next question, how do you manage to stay so easygoing about everything that's going on in your life? Um. So uh, the way I go about my easygoingness, there's like two trains of thought how I stay easygoing with people and how I stay easygoing with taking on tasks. So the way I stay easygoing with people is I don't take anything personally. And I always like to give people the benefit of the doubt. So for instance, if like, you know, someone said something pretty uh, questionable in a group setting, I like to give them like the benefit of doubt and like time to like hopefully redeem themselves. But after like, two or three strikes depending on what they say then I feel like I, I'd have to say something well, depending on the situation but um for everybody else you know I always approach 
people with like a nice smile. And I have this perspective where not to objectify people, but I see people as books, meaning they have some, they have a story to them, be it what they were going through that day, yesterday, or whatever their goals and aspirations are. And that's what keeps me genuinely interested in what they have to say. And that's how I say easygoing with people. Uh, with tasks, I treat tasks as just, you know, um, I'm a, I like to play a lot of like story-based games. So I treat everything like a quest per se. And I keep uh, everything tabulated on either like my agenda and my um, Google Calendar. And I have everything synced between my laptop, my phone, my Apple Watch, and even like my uh, physical agenda and like my physical whiteboard. So that's how I keep everything organized. And I like organize everything based on like priority and like when it needs to be done. Mm. And obviously with everything going on and with how you approach life in general, I'm sure that isn't an easy task to do every day just to put on a smile on your face. But do you think that your upbeat mindset and just your overall outlook on life tend to hinder or help your understanding of the realities of life? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I feel like my upbeat mindset and outlook on life definitely helps my understanding the realities of life. Um, because uh, you can't have an upbeat mindset without compassion. Um, because if you go about, well, this is my opinion, if you go about going everything with such like an upbeat mindset, you fail to recognize what some people are going through and it comes off that you're being like apathetic and you're not being empathetic or sympathetic to other people you know given that there's certain situations and whatnot so i feel like you with having an upbeat mindset you definitely need to have a sense of compassion because it gives you that sense of understanding of the realities of life because yeah there's some people who go through some very you know, traumatic things. Some things are still affecting them to this day. I even have some like family members and like friends that have some things that go unannounced. But like once I, once you understand that that's their way of processing things, okay, how, what can I do as my role as like a friend, family member, etc. right? Mm -hmm. So having that upbeat mindset, I don't know. I feel like I just like, I tend to take on the role of trying to help people out a lot in a way where I want to be able to educate them, empower and elevate them to a point where they're just a better version of themselves. You know, cause if you're surrounded by people who are kind of like down in the dumps, that type of energy is gonna like go on you and kind of put you in a very lower position. But if you're able to help other people and like spread that good vibe and upbeat mindset, then it's not only um, helping you maintain your positive energy, but you're also spreading that good energy to other people as well. Mm. I love that. And I think the whole compassion aspect is going to really serve you well, not only as a future doctor, but just as someone who's growing up throughout life. So I'm glad you brought that up, just understanding other people's stories. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast later on is going to be like, this guy is really, really extroverted. Do you, does he ever get exhausted? You know, do you ever feel that way at any point in time? Oh, yeah, 
percent. So um, going back on the whole compassion uh, aspect, the way I like to interact with people is I prefer transformative experience rather than transactional experience. So for instance, I went to a, an engineering conference back in sophomore year, and I was just talking to so many uh, BME people, you know, execs working at like Merck, J&J, um, Bristol Myers Squibbs, and, you know, I, talking to them is, and then giving them my whole spiel about like, oh, this is like the research I did. Here's my grades. This is like the current project I'm working on here, are like my research interests. It's like rinse and a repeat to like different people to the point where it's just boring. I prefer having interactions with people where I get to learn something about them and I could have that natural, easygoing exchange with them rather than the forced transactional exchange that you see with like networking. So I don't like the, I don't like to put a business perspective on social interactions. So that, that whole aspect of social interactions exhausts me, but I like having those deep conversations with people. And the way I see it's like, um, execute social interactions as if you were an extrovert, but process your interactions as if you were an introvert, because um, I feel like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, a lot of introverts tend to, you know, are very observant and they tend to understand what they observe on a deeper level compared to extroverts. So mm -hmm. going back to my whole philosophy about um, combining compassion and spreading good energy, the extrovertedness addresses the uh, spreading of the good energy. The introvertedness addresses the compassion aspect of how I go about things. And I like that, like using both the extroverted and introverted aspects. And yeah, it, it's definitely true. I think it also has more to do, I say this as a semi-introverted person, that it has to do with the fear of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing and having people judge you for that. So I think that's another little obstacle that introverted people face when it comes to you know, putting themselves out there. Mm -hmm. So what do you recommend for anyone who's like myself, semi-introverted or introverted in general? What do you recommend them to do in order to build that confidence? Oh, okay. Yeah. So I have kind of like two quotes I abide by. I think you mentioned this earlier. Um, uh, what you call it? It's like in terms of like not caring what other people think so you could actually do the things that you care about and letting thrill guide your will, per se. So to address that first point of not caring and how it can help reinforce uh, yourself to do the things that you care about, I feel like a lot of people tend to be box checkers, especially within the pre-med realm, because every almost any pre-med or quote-unquote like toxic pre-med just likes to give a spiel about oh I did this research oh I got an A in orgo oh I got like a thousand hours of like clinical experience or like oh I I volunteer at the hospital you know but when you kind of flex on people that way it really doesn't give a certain story or a personal aspect to your narrative it just the vibe, I guess, is like, oh, you're just trying to like flex on people. So 
when you do the things that you do generally care about, you know, you don't, uh, you know, with disregard to what other people would think and would say, you're going to be happier because um, when you let go of other people's opinions and only focus on what you want to do, the things that you do would feel um, would be seamless and they won't feel as like they were a chore and you'd actually enjoy what you do, you know, and then that's where you have the whole uh, personal narrative attached to what you do, you know, so instead of having, you know, your career be your personality trait, your career is just a part of you, your personality trait or your personality in itself is how you want to carry yourself and how you're uh, able to go about the things you enjoy. And then letting thrill guide your will, that aspect is more so, it's kind of like do what excites, like that one YouTuber, Kelly Wakasa says, and like the way he goes about his videos, he just does a bunch of things that, you know, not a lot of people, or even like not a lot of people would like agree with it or would agree or disagree with what he does being like, it's a waste of time. But if it's like, if it's something you generally enjoy and you you find leisure out of it then you know screw what other people have to say because at the end of the day you know you're advocating for yourself and your personal interests and your desires you know within reason that you don't take advantage of other people obviously but you do what you do to benefit yourself and uplift yourself and i like that thrill guides your will i think that's something that speaks even to a great truth today, especially, I mean, we're still in the pandemic, but it's much more improved. But after the pandemic, I feel like I've seen more people go out and do what they want to do because they've had this realization that anything can be taken from them in an instant. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we can also blame social media for inspiring that, but at the same time, we can also see that as a blessing in disguise where it's like, you know, we see other people pursuing their dreams and their goals you know, depending on how you want to view that. And, you know, it could inspire you to take that action to do what it is that you wish to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I definitely like that quote. So the next question I have for you is, how do you handle failure or trials, which I'm sure you have had your fair share of them throughout the years? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I'd like to share a story of like my very first very real failure I had. So um, coming out of high school, um, I was like only one of two students who who were going to community college, but was in like AP honors classes, held a lot of e-board positions, played varsity sports, you know. And, you know, if you went through the whole like college application in high school, you know, it's just like you want to make yourself look good for admissions committee so you can go to like a big name school you know and then people hype you up when you get into said big name school and whatnot because like all the connections you can make and just all the opportunities you can get from it right Mm -hmm. so um yeah coming out of high school I went to community college but I was very hesitant about going at first and I viewed that route as a failure because it's like I worked so hard throughout my four years of high school that I ended up at a place where it's like, you really don't need to do much to get in, you know? And then uh, what my mom told me was, you know, you didn't, you applied to all these great schools, but you know, what your personal path is, is you don't want to be in as much debt as possible as Mm -hmm. when you pursue higher education. 
you know, and, and that's where I started having the mantra of like not caring what other people think and doing what I want to do and what's best for me. Because in retrospect, going to community college was one of like the best two years of my life. And it proved my 18 year old version of me wrong. And I like to own that I went to community college. And it's honestly just like an East Coast stigma. Because if you go to like the West Coast, like almost everybody goes to a community college first and then like a four year after four year university after like it's so common there. So I remember one time I went out there and I told some people there that's like a stigma over here. They're like really surprised, but um, not to go off further from that. But um, in terms of handling failures in the big picture, I view it as a way that kind of not diverge, but guides me to my success so i see failures as a door being closed on like a questionable opportunity but my path doesn't diverge from my main goal and uh my main goal and what my main aspirations are it's just another way of going about how i want to end up in the same destination just not the way i originally envisioned so with you know closed doors it's kind of like okay a door closed door closes on me what am i given now how do I use what I'm given now to elevate me to the next step, the next checkpoint to where I want to end up? And that's great. And I think it's really nice to hear you being so open later on to the path that you chose, because I mean, the reality is we're not always going to be 100% on board with what is put in front of us, like whether that's going to community college, going to a school that we didn't plan to go to at first. I think in that moment, especially in our late teen years, we're so busy trying to prove not only to other people, but to ourselves that we're worthy based on some sort of position or status, which I think as we get older, we tend to realize that that's not the case, that that really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I think whatever insecurities we have right now, we'll probably look back 30 years later and be like, that was complete BS, like that didn't matter. So I think what we're experiencing in the past and how we view it now, I think it was definitely needed. Mm -hmm. So I think that's great that you view your community college years as some of the best years of your life because, you know, it definitely opens a door, opens a window for other people who may feel the same way as as you did before. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Oh, yeah. So how do you manage to take care of yourself when someone or something has hurt you, especially with someone who, you know, shows a lot of compassion, cares a lot about people? Like, how do you maintain that balance? Um, that's a good question, because, uh, I mean, not to come off as like a very as a having a toxic productive mindset I kind of like to keep myself busy when like someone or something has hurt me because the way I generally process things is like if something sour happened it's I'm like yeah it happened you know I give myself probably maybe a day or two to like process or grieve depending on the severity of what's what happened but I know that um given after the grieving process that if I were to stay in that position, it's not going to benefit me nor benefit other people around me. So I kind of have to be able to dig myself out of that 
whole. So what I tend to do is I like to keep myself busy, be it with work or like my hobbies, so that if I take time away from thinking about the someone or the something that's hurt me, I'm not giving it the power over me to consume my thoughts and my energy. I'm putting my energy towards other things that I enjoy to the point where it that someone or something that hurt me isn't affecting me anymore. You know, and it gets to that point where I reflect back on it. I it happened, but I'm grateful that I was able to get myself out of that rut because looking back on it, you know, like you previously mentioned, some of the, some of like these things that have happened and have like hurt me. Yeah, it definitely took a toll on me at that moment. But if you're able to dig yourself out of that uh, rut and look back on it in retrospect, it wasn't so bad. Not to uh, mitigate or to um, you know uh, denounce what pe- what other people personally go through and like how they process things this is just like how how I go about it Mm -hmm. and that's completely valid because it's like we all you know approach things differently so I'm sure you not only learned how to do all of that throughout your life but did you also learn that advice from someone else uh yeah so um I remember community college summer going from freshman year to sophomore year I was just really burnt out I was taking 10 credits I was taking calc 3 psych sociology and on top of that I was taking uh, an EMT course and you know I was always between RWJ in Somerset and like RVCC in Branchburg and like the home and like my house And it got to the point where, you know, I was able to survive the semester and the program, but I was just like so burnt out. So I scheduled a meeting with my advisor, uh, Greg, uh, Greg, shout out to Greg, if he ever hears this. Um, But he was the very first person in an academic setting where I was very, uh, I was very vulnerable with. And I, after that instance, I had just had a deep connection with him. I still text him to this day, anything he needs with regards to advocating for, uh, you know, RVCC or just talking about the honors college at RVCC or about like my experience there. I'm always, I always like to carve out time and let him know when I'm available. Cause I like to give that two cents about what I experienced and help see if my story can help other people. But um, going back to the original uh, meeting I had with him, uh, I went into his office and this was the first time I cried in front of an academic advisor, faculty, staff person, someone just like older than me and like higher in authority. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I just told him like, yeah, I don't even know if I want to pursue engineering and like medicine anymore. I'm just like totally tired. Like I don't even want to talk to people anymore. I just want to like go away and like not talk to anyone anymore. And then he told me like, well, why do you feel that way? And I just told him like, I just feel consumed and just like overwhelmed with everything I'm doing right now. And I feel like it's not contributing to where I want to be right now. And he broke it down for me. He's like, well, you're only 19. Most people that start med school range from like 22 to 26. So that's like at minimum three years away from where you're at right now. And then he brought up a good point where he's like, if you really want to do this, you need to 
be able to process your emotions, your thoughts, and how you go about things in the proper way so that it doesn't feel like what you're doing for a career path isn't a chore. So he kind of gave me daily reminders, like he gave me like 10 daily reminders, because at this time also, I was in charge of setting up a mentorship program within the Honors College. And he knew that my whole like MO with how I want to go about things is just like being there for other people and just increasing peer engagement, social engagement, just to increase um uh just to uh increase the way of how connected we are as uh an honor as an honors college cohort uh at rvcc so he knew that i had that drive off the bat he just knew that i was having a little obstacle a little um a little being a little misguided just because a lot of things uh put me in like a very bad position so i could read off the 10 reminders that he gave me if you'd like <laughs> yeah definitely go for it yeah because from that moment on anytime like i'm like going through it i like to read these things and it kind of gives me that boost that i need so um the first one is set achieve and appreciate your small goals daily and weekly because he gave me he gave me this point because he brought up med schools like so far along the line that i have to adjust all these other small things i didn't even realize that are attainable and I could be able to work on at the age I'm at right now that will help get me to where I need to be um secondly take time to de-stress that one's just to reiterate that your work is not your personality and you are a human being and you you can't you're not a machine you can't always be working so you need time to de-stress and have time for yourself uh three your progress is measured by comparing yourself now to your past self not to anyone else. And I like this piece of advice because he gave me a quote. I think it was like either, I think it was Theodore Roosevelt that said this, uh, that comparison is the thief of joy. So when you stop, and I, I touched upon this point before, if you stop comparing yourself to other people, you'll just be like so happy because then you can do the things that you enjoy and you'll be satisfied with what you're doing. Um, the next point, appreciate what you do and feel valid with what you are doing. So this goes back to being secure with your ambitions, your personal beliefs and whatnot, and how you want to effectively execute them. Uh, five, take time to spend with friends and family. And I enjoy this point a lot because especially during COVID, um, just a lot of family stuff was happening. I was just so like engrossed with like grinding out work and like my extracurriculars that I was barely at home. I spent like, I spent even nights at the lab that I was working in. And, you know, my, in retrospect, now looking back, like, that's not how I want to be and carry myself with like my family now and like my future family as I pursue a very um, time consuming career. But I'm, I'm sure I'll be able to find a way to manage both because um if you if you think about it if you for anything that you want to do you'll be able, you'll always find a way to do the things that you want to do and for the people and the things that you care about so that's a very important point i like to uh re-emphasize for myself uh six don't forget your motivation and determination for your goals and that kind of goes back to the whole hustle and like grinding, uh, grinding on work mindset, because yeah, you can get lost in the sauce sometimes, you know, but you kind of have to remember why you're making the sauce in the first place. 
So because when you work too much, it, it'll start to feel like a chore. But once you um, realign your why with your work and you enjoy that why, then it'll be a boost for you to continue doing said work. Uh, seven, your success is measured by what makes you happy and how you impact the world. And I like this point because it just encompasses the whole aspect of good vibes and compassion, like impacting the world. Um, eight, enjoy the small things in life. Yeah, I feel like, and you mentioned this too, on like social media, there's like just so much emphasis on like big things, big events, you know, going to big venues and taking on like big things to the point where it doesn't give value to like small things in life, like a simple sunset or just like, you know, skateboarding with like your friends, because those are the things that, you know, even though they're small in comparison to like, you know, big achievements, those are the things that, you know, when added together, contribute to your, that human side of you and your compassion. Um, nine, live in the now. It's kind of a repeat of enjoy the small things in life, but living in now means that if you're not worried about your past and you're not worried about your future and you're worried about the now, you can effectively execute what you're doing in that moment. And I apply this to both in a professional and a social setting. So for instance, if I'm, you know, need to give a presentation, but I'm worried about a project that's due at the end of the week, I'm not going to do well in my presentation because all my mind, all my thoughts and my energy is going towards the project. But if mm -hmm. you're living in the now, you can effectively give a good presentation or even spending time with people. You know, I like to put my phone down when I get coffee with friends or when I'm interacting in a social setting, because like, you know, I'm there for a reason. I work. I don't need my work to be there. So I like to be able to focus and give my undivided attention. So that's what I like about living in the now. And then the last point, the 10th point is take time at the end of each day to reflect on what you accomplished each day and be proud of yourself. And this is just like also an, another point to reiterate to um, re, be able to recharge for yourself every day. You know, you're not a machine. You know, you're not like everyone else. Everyone, you move at your own pace. Everyone else moves at their own pace. You know, you kind of have to just focus on yourself. And when you do and you give yourself that pat on the back every night, you'll you'll feel recharged for taking on the next day. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's the end of my <laughs> exhaustive list. Those were all great. And I think a lot of our listeners are going to, if not take all of them, they're going to at least take one piece of advice from your list there and definitely be impacted. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for taking the time out to like, you know, write it all down and just like go through it. Oh yeah, thank you for letting me share. <laughs> yeah, and so before we end, I do have a last question for you, which mm -hmm. I like to ask everyone. So obviously the pandemic is still ongoing and it definitely changed a lot of our lives. So how have these last few years during and even life after the pandemic affected you? Oh, so in a sense, it kind of, help me reinforce the mindset of not being a box checker. And especially during COVID, it really helped reinforce my reasoning to take a gap year. Because I remember coming into Rutgers, uh, since COVID, since the pandemic hit, uh, my sophomore spring semester, that was like the most integral part of my college journey. Because that summer 
between sophomore year and junior year, I'm, I'd be transferring into Rutgers. So like I was so excited um, for like the social aspect and taking on, you know, new things at Rutgers, but having that taken away uh, took a took a toll on me because like Zoom learning isn't really great. I shot so many cold emails to get into labs and to get clinical experience at various practices and even hospitals to the point where it's just like constant rejection decline. It's not anything personal. It's just because of like situation at the time. Mm-hmm. So that reinforced uh, my ask, my mindset on, okay, I need to take a gap year. I need to sit down and focus on my classes and then I'll take the gap year to address the things that I need to get done before I apply for med school so uh that was like one of those things where it's just like a door closed but it's not a failure because it's outside of my control um another other stuff that happened at, uh during the pandemic oh yeah so um I lost a f- I lost my uncle to uh an aneurysm during COVID, nothing to nothing to do with like him getting COVID or COVID complications. It was just more so the situation um, back home in the Philippines. Um, the way the health care system there structured, it got to the point where he was able to get successful surgery, but there was just complications during recovery to the point where like we lost him. And this was the first time I saw my dad cry in front of my eyes. And you know, for like the first. 20 years of my life I've never seen this man cry in front of my face like yeah he he lost my grandfather but they weren't really close so he really didn't care but when my uncle passed away I was like wow I didn't really realize that this man you know who I still held a little bit of resentment towards because of the way um, I was brought up and like the way he kind of gave me critiques and whatnot was in such a vulnerable position, you know, and, you know, being the kuya of the family, it kind of gave me a perspective where it's just like, I don't only need to be the kuya for my siblings, but I need also need to be like the kuya for like, you know, my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. And then after that happened and, you know, talking to my dad about it, just gave me a whole different perspective on him being like human, you know, like I decided to dismiss all the resent I had towards him and my relationship with him after that whole experience got better. You know, me and him are like more chummy now. Um, I crack jokes with him a lot. I maintained that whole demeanor of, you know, good vibes cracking jokes and whatnot around him to the point where it's like I I feel like I can be easily vulnerable with him and I could talk about very um deep topics with him and just expand his understanding of things but yeah that was another integral point of the pandemic and that's kind of how it uh also reinforced my why for me- for pursuing medicine in such a preventative uh way because you know my uncle was a smoker had a poor diet and you know we were trying to get him to adopt a better better lifestyle habits and whatnot but you know this was all through like skype facebook messenger whatnot so then after that took a toll on him you know and just seeing the repetition of you know not as close family members but just family members on both sides of my family being dying uh, passing away due to either an 
something that was preventable, either, you know, they were smoking and they passed away due to like lung cancer, or they had like an aneurysm due to like, you know, poor diet or poor like living uh, lifestyle habits. Then I just saw that, wow, okay. Preventative healthcare is the way I want to go because in BME especially, oh yeah, that's also another uh, integral part during the pandemic time too, junior core, uh, junior core during pandemic times. A lot of the cases I learned was patient has alcoholism, there's cirrhosis, um, we have to run an ELISA. Okay, we ran an ELISA. I learned the mechanics of how an ELISA assay is done to figure out why this patient has cirrhosis. Okay, mm -hmm. what happens after that? We just send the patient back out. I'm like, wait, you mentioned that the patient is an alcoholic, but we're not addressing the alcoholism. We're only addressing the cirrhosis. So what, we are going to expect the patient to come back to us with the same exact situation. So seeing that didn't really sit well with me. And then having these instances, you know, that hit close to my family in terms of, you know, poor lifestyle habits and diseases that could be easily preventable, that kind of made me see, you know, excuse my French, like biomed engineering as a very bullshit uh, major, at least for the way I want to go about medicine, because everything in BME that I learned from core, from junior core classes was you look at all these treatments, you apply physics, chemistry, uh, biology for therapies and like devices. But the thing is, I you wouldn't need all these therapies and devices if you address the root cause of what's causing these people's diseases, you know? And that's kind of where I started having not a distaste, but I started having a distrust in engineering because you can innovate so much for humanity and for the world. Like, you know, Elon Musk, for example, wants to build a rocket to Mars. That's great. You know, in terms of like scientific endeavors, that's great, but you're not addressing the issues about like housing crises, people starving, people not having proper uh, or proper and equal access to healthcare. You know, so what's the point of having innovation when, uh, people who are still like lagging behind in terms of either social merit, social status, or just well-being, they're still left behind. So how can we as people get to that point of endeavor of like scientific innovation and endeavors when not everybody's on the same page? Mm. Like, don't get me wrong, those endeavors are great, you know, great to read in a research paper, great to get an award, but it's lacking that compassion side that I started to develop with how I go about uh, people. So that's when I, so a lot of things happened in pandemic and a lot of that kind of went back to rehash everything. Uh, I found engineering very BS. Um, I wanna do preventive medicine. And I found that after doing some research, um, uh, I also like, uh, I also found the link between, you know, intersecting my Asian American identity with my uh, healthcare aspect to my, uh, you know, my character. And shout out to Natanya for taking me into a PAMSA because boom, really opened a, a lot of uh, insight into, you know, uh, 
a lot of health disparities within the Asian American community that I didn't even like realize uh, up until like I joined the PAMSA and got more involved with not just the Rutgers undergraduate chapter, but like the national chapter. And even I'm on uh, CFAM with Natanya right now. Uh, but yeah, it's, I, I like the whole community aspect of the intersection between healthcare and medicine, my Asian American identity, and like my Filipino community. Uh, all of that encompassed together to uh, be able to elevate people and put them in a position where, you know, they're thriving. So that's kind of like my how my MO changed within undergrad during the pandemic. Well, I am just super glad that, you know, you found your way and that you found exactly what you wanted to do, which is just a complete emphasis in the fact that not everyone, I mean, I have never met someone who knows exactly what they want to do when they're 18 and then going through college, they're happy with exactly what they picked. Mm -hmm. So you're just a testament to that idea that there's no such thing as knowing what you want to do. And it's so funny because Gentle brought up um, the same thing that you did, that you were just like so happy about joining a PAMSA. And believe it or not, I was very selective about reaching out to certain people um, for the e-board or for what was it before? I forget now. It's only been like two years, but whatever I was reaching out to you guys for, I was really intentional with picking people who I could just tell. And I mean, this is going against the don't judge a book by its cover thing, mm -hmm. but I was choosing people who I genuinely thought would be passionate and would continue, not the legacy, but just the mission. And it was during a time when a PAMSA, which if you listeners don't know, is a medical organization over at Rutgers that I started during my sophomore year during a time when I was actually really lost. So reaching out to Ian was just the start of what I had hoped would be a continuation of Filipino representation and a continuation of what I believed would impact the next generation of future physicians and surgeons and things like that. So I'm glad that you found a home in the PAMSA and just watching you from afar, just watching everyone from afar to see how much you guys have grown, even outside of a PAMSA, it just, it warms my soul. And I'm so happy that things worked out for you guys in the end. Um, but that's just my little spiel. So with that being said, Ian, is there anything else you would like to say? um i really i'm not really sure i touch upon like a lot of points unless you have like a question for me that i could like quickly like answer um i guess i could definitely ask about you know towards the future i guess if you were to have kids for instance what would be your piece of advice for them as they also grow up Ooh, that's a good question. That's so far down the line. I haven't even thought about that. I guess um, I I tell them like what I tell like my students, especially because like I work with high schoolers and sometimes I work with like little kids I coach soccer with. Um, piece of advice. Ooh. Um. Ooh. Okay, I got it. Um, a lot of people talk about um the uh, heart and mind slash brain balance right 
you know, mm. if you think too much with your brain logically, you end up being, you know, a scummy person because you're only working towards your personal intentions. And then there's the other side of the argument where people talk about if you act and think too much with your heart, you'll be easily, easily taken advantage of, you know, because people, a lot of people see compassion as weakness. But I like to um, emphasize the point that you need to go about things with uh, the mind, the both the mind and the heart. So your heart drives your why and what you want to do. Your head gives your head is the tool that'll help you dictate how to effectively and strategically go about how you want to do and how you want to execute how your path to get to where you want to be. So never stray too far from thinking too much with your heart, because if you think too much with your heart, you'll end up doing a lot of impulsive decisions. You won't, you wouldn't think logically. Don't stray too far uh, away to the, from the bounce to the point where you're thinking so much with your head that you start forgetting about your why and you're all in, uh, you're all in too deep with, you know, maybe corporate or like money and you dismiss the people and the things that you genuinely care about. But if you're able to maintain that balance of finding, of having that why with your heart and how to execute the why with your mind, and you maintain that balance, you'll be able to not only um, reach your goals and your successes, but you'll also be able to help be a model for other people to go about what they want to do, you know? And even though like I'm teaching engineering again and like, it's I, I claim it to be like a BS major with like my with my own take on it. You know, there's a lot of kids I work with that are very passionate about engineering. And they tell me like, you know, like if you know, if you, for like medical school, you have to give your why. But I feel like with anything in life, be it uh, healthcare, science, business, you know, whatever your why is, it doesn't have to be the same field. The only the, the only difference is the field of what that why is lies in but the same thing is uh applied for all the wise how you want to uh effectively go about it in your own personal way but you need that mentality that energy and that drive to go about your why i love that and i think your future children will if they don't get it right away i'm sure it will definitely impact them later on yeah <laughs> With that being said, thank you so much, Ian. It was it was such a pleasure talking to you and just, you know, learning more about you. And fun fact for all our listeners out there, Ian and I have never met in person, but yet I feel like he's like a little brother to me. So like, it's just so funny and just how the world works. So with that being said, thank you so much again, Ian, for hopping on today. It was a pleasure having you. Uh, thank you for having me, Tanya. And is there a way for people to reach out to you, a social media handle or something that if anyone has any questions for our listeners? Oh, yeah. Um, you can, they can hit me up on Instagram. Uh, it's P underscore I-A-N that dot O. It's like, it's a play on piano because like I play piano and like my name is Ian and like O is my last initial. So it's just like a play on all three of those things. <laughs> Ah, I love that. And uh, another fellow piano player. Were you forced into it or did you actually want to play it? I was forced into it initially, but like I actually enjoyed it. 
and then yeah it kind of it came easy to me so then that's why I kind of stuck with it like to this day like I don't play every day per se I'm trying to get back into it but like my sight reading is still on point <laughs> that's honestly that's a conversation that we can have after this mm. <laughs> Same thing for me. Same thing. Well, thank you so much again, Ian. For the, our listeners out there, thank you so much. Our next episode is next month. And if you have any questions, hit up Ian. If you have any questions about the podcast, follow me at the Simply Spoken on Instagram.